0: Uh, good to be here with you again today we're looking at the Old Testament lectionary texts for this upcoming weekend as we have normally done for the last few months and today we're looking at a book that is probably not uh, on many people's lists as uh, you know one of their faves in the Bible uh, it's frankly an oft uh, ignored book and that is the book of Zephaniah uh, it's a rare thing that I've ever heard somebody say man you know my favorite passage or my favorite book in the Bible is from Zephaniah or Zephaniah chapter whatever. Although, as we will see today, there is a passage in Zephaniah that for some of you might be very familiar and frankly actually could be one of your favorite verses. It's just not, not one of those that rolls off the tongue too much though. But uh, the reason we're looking at Zephaniah uh, chapter 1 verses 7 through 16 uh, today is really is because Zephaniah is a book that is all about judgment and this passage is really all about judgment and why would we be looking at a passage all about judgment? Well um, this Sunday's Gospel text really kind of is all about judgment. Uh, Specifically uh, it has to do with the parable of the talents. Now it's important to note when we talk about talents uh, in the scriptures, in that passage, it it does not mean like talents like we use today, you know, like a, this person's very talented. It, they are gifts in the passage, but a talent was actually a, a measurement of weight. It was probably a talent of gold or something else like that to try. Um, you know, that's really what it was. And, and anyway, the parable is these people are given these talents and they're expected to do something with them and judgment comes when someone wastes what they've been given and does not do anything with it. Now I won't go into more detail than that because of course our good friend Chad Bird will go into much greater detail than I can today about that and I'll let him do a good job of it. Um, But it has to do with this judgment that's coming. Well zephaniah depicts for us judgment as a matter of fact almost the entire book does so we'll put we'll pick it up uh chapter one verse seven here zephaniah is specifically prophesying to judah to the southern kingdom it, the rest of the other uh, ten tribes of israel had already been uh invaded by assyria about a hundred years earlier or so a little little less than that um and basically was obliterated by that invasion uh by assyria judah has not experienced that yet but The the tremors are coming. Uh, It's only going to be a matter of time before God allows Babylon, led by Nebuchadnezzar, to indeed bring judgment against his people. And today's passage is really going to depict for us the reasons why this judgment comes. So verse 7, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord is prepared a sacrifice and consecrated, his guests. Now, this idea of the day of the Lord, uh, the day of Yahweh, in um, if we were to uh, summarize the title of the Lord there, it's Yahweh. Um, it's used in two ways throughout Scripture. One is it's used to depict just a general time of judgment that there's going to be a day where you're going to face judgment for what you're doing here. It's a temporal judgment. It's a judgment in time for a certain length of time. So when we think about the Babylonian captivity, we know that um, Israel or Jerusalem and the people of Judah were taken off into captivity for 70 years. But that is, of course, it's a temporary judgment. There's also, though, this idea behind the day of the Lord of being the final day of judgment. And so what we read here is both an announcement to Jerusalem of what's coming soon, but also what will be fulfilled ultimately later on a much grander scale for the world he continues and on the day of the lord's sacrifice i will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire on that day i will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud Now, a couple things to note here, there's certainly nothing wrong uh, with wearing foreign attire. Uh, That's not the issue here. You can probably pick up on the fact that connected to this foreign attire that the king's sons and uh, officials are wearing is basically um, the idea that they've given themselves over to other gods. They've given themselves over to idolatry. They've given themselves over to comfort and largesse at the expense of God's people. The the politicians have become corrupt, and they have become corrupt through violence and fraud. And so God says, sort of listing out why he's bringing judgment, this is going to be the first thing. I'm bringing it against your corrupt leaders, both in the temple and out of the temple. Not just politicians, but also uh, your religious leaders that are doing the same thing. Verse 10, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate. That's one of the entrances to Jerusalem. A wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. So this is covering sort of the expanse of Jerusalem is what's being depicted for somebody who would have known the geography there. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Oh, how significant that verse is and how relevant it is for our individual lives. Why do I say that? Listen to what the people say. They don't deny the existence of God, And they don't deny that God is indeed powerful and yet what do they what do they say about God the Lord will not do good the Lord will not do ill in other words it's sort of the height of deistic apathetic thinking about God if there's anything that scripture makes abundantly clear to us, it is that God is active in space, time, and history. All of the Christian faith hinges on this idea that God is not somewhere up there far away, not caring about the activities of human aff- or, or human affairs at all. But But no, God is actively working in the midst of every little detail and all the things that go on in his world, even if we don't quite understand how it all works. And yet these people have gotten to a place, these people who've uh, heard the stories of Moses and heard the stories of miracles and, have, and maybe even witnessed miracles themselves, have gotten to the place where they say, eh, God doesn't care. They're apathetic and they see God is apathetic. Now, I would dare say that one of our biggest problems in American Christianity today is a genuine sense of apathy, a genuine sense that, yeah, God's there, and they might even get the doctrinal notes right in describing that God, but they don't have much expectation that God actually is going to do anything, that God actually is still active in his world. But friends, it, it is a fact that every time we gather around word and sacrament, God is in fact doing something that he is in fact forgiving sins, that he is in fact transforming lives. That is happening through those means of word and sacrament. But these people have gotten to the place where they say, nah, doesn't really matter. Who cares? So God says, verse 13, Their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. They build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. They won't have any... Economic prosperity, in other words, no matter what they try and do, they'll just be thwarted at every, every angle. The great day of the Lord is near, verse 14, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, or anger. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress, distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And that is our passage for this Sunday's Old Testament reading. Now you might hear that and you go, good night nurse, there doesn't seem to be a lick of hope in that thing. And frankly, folks, you would be right. Uh, There is not a lick of hope in this passage at all. it is just a promise of pure unadulterated judgment against God's people for their apathy for their idolatry, for their willingness to trade their Lord in for uh, uh, you know a, a, a bag of rice and in uh, a cup of wine. Uh, it, it's it was generations of God warning them warning them, warning them that if they didn't repent this would happen and now the day is coming and one day that will be true for this whole entire world we know that it was true for Jerusalem when Babylon when Babylon indeed invaded and took over we know it was true for Jerusalem when Rome destroyed the temple and did much of what's described here destroying Jerusalem and really never bringing it back in AD 70 we know that these judgments take place and we know that this judgment one day will take place for the entire world one day God will say enough enough with my creation destroying itself, destroying each other, dividing over everything, enough. I'm done with it. But even though there is the promise of judgment, even though this passage is basically all almost 100% law, and it is, if you go a little further in Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3. And you have to remember, it's all sort of one oracle. It's all one big prophecy. Even as God is promising, darkness, gloom, wrath, it's coming. It doesn't end there. Because in so it's like so often, whenever you see this talk of great judgment coming, it's like God doesn't, he's not comfortable with that being the final word to his people. He's just not. He's not comfortable with leaving people with the law. Preachers, take note. Because the very end of Zephaniah ends in chapter 3, verse 9 with this. A complete change. After judgment has come. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, that would be somewhere in Egypt, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you you have rebelled against me for then i will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain but i will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly they shall seek refuge in the name of the lord those who are left in israel they shall do no injustice And speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O Israel! Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem! The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst you shall never again fear evil on that day it shall be said to jerusalem fear not o zion let not your hands grow weak the lord your god is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you by his love he will exult over you with loud singing i will gather those of you who mourn for the festival I told you God's just not comfortable leaving people under the law because those are the very last words of the book of Zephaniah of the prophecy that God gives even as he's unleashing judgment against the people rightfully so and is telling them if you don't repent this is coming at the very end he can't help but give them a promise this is law and gospel doing its work folks The law comes and kills the sinner, threatens the sinner, compels the sinner to acknowledge that they've blown it and they need mercy. And then the gospel comes and says, you have mercy on account of what Jesus Christ is doing for you. At this point, it was on account of what Jesus will do for you, on account of what my anointed one will accomplish for you. And for us, it's a promise on account of what Christ has accomplished for us some 2000 years ago and so these promises are for you that even as the day of the Lord comes and even as he does call all including you and I to repentance every day there's also the promise that this day of the Lord will ultimately result in a new people with no more mourning no more pain no more tears and and no more fear that God would indeed gather them as a father gathers his children, and he would love them forever. So that is the good news of Zephaniah, and the good news, even yes, of the day of the Lord. That's this Sunday's Old Testament Lectionary Text. I hope you have a a wonderful Tuesday and a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you next Tuesday. God bless.